Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Man, it's so good to be with you guys. For those of you joining us online, if you don't know who I am, my name's Cody. I'm the uh, Greenwood Campus Pastor here at Emmanuel Church. So thankful that you've decided to join us. If you've not been with us over the course of the past couple weeks, want to let you know that we are right in the middle of a series called Encounters OT, all about encounters that individuals had with God in the Old Testament. And that's where we're at. And the main idea that we've been talking about is this, is that when you have an encounter with God, you walk away different. And we've talked about this for the past two weeks. In the first week, we saw that someone walked away with a busted up hip. They walked away with a limp after their wrestling match with God. Of course, that was Jacob. And then last week, Pastor Matt did an absolutely fantastic job delivering his message where we talked about how someone walked away with a little bit more wisdom after their encounter with God. Of course, that was Solomon. And this week, we're going to talk about someone walking away with clarity after their encounter with God. Do you guys know who we're talking about today? Anybody know? Moses, baby, we're talking about Big Mo. We're going to talk about Big Mo. Very excited to talk about Big Mo, but before we talk about Big Mo and how we can have clarity with our life, I do want to talk about this barrier to clarity, this barrier to understanding our purpose and God's will for our life, and that would be distractions. Distractions. And here's what we know about distractions. Distractions keep us from gaining clarity. Got any parents with us today? Any parents? Anybody got raising kids? A few of you okay up top online? I see you. Okay, good. God has blessed my wife and I. We have two little girls. He also has a sense of humor because I grew up with all brothers and went to an all-male college. So I know nothing about girls. I'm learning as I go. I know that Pixar movies are very important to them. Started watching The Descendants, which is like a musical. Like, I don't know if you know what that is. A lot of singing. I'm not a big musical guy, but I'm learning. I'm trying to get the dance moves down from a little girl. But I've got a five-year-old daughter who's very prone to distraction. Very prone to distraction. She stares at people. I think you've got kids that stare at people. I, I do. She's bad at this, man, like real bad. Beautiful girl, but she will stare you down. And it's not the type of staring like at a coffee shop where somebody's having like a heated conversation and you're trying to be like real coy behind the straw and you're like, and you're just staring and you're like, mm, I wonder what's going on over there. It's not that, it's this. Like mouth open, jaw dropped, like no regard for her surrounding or that people can see what she's doing with her face. Just just stares at people. She's five years old. Like, we could be at a Mexican restaurant. We could be at a sporting event. We could be at the grocery store. Doesn't matter. She's just going to look at you and whatever you got going on in your life. And so we've had to tell her, like, honey, like, you can't stare at people. You're getting a little bit distracted. People are going to think they got something hanging out of their nose. They're going to think they got something wrong with their shirt. Like, you can't just stare at people like that. And she's like, okay, daddy, I understand. Okay. He just doesn't get it. And this happens when we're out. This happens when we're out in public too. Like I don't know about you, but during the, the quarantine period, like we were riding bikes and going for walks around the neighborhood, like daily, like all the time. Like the same loop, the same lap. Like she's setting like time trials and fast laps on the bike. Like just got real familiar with the terrain. 
And one particular day, we're walking and we're doing the bike ride. She's on her bike with the streamers and the helmet. She looks so cute. And we're like half a block away from the house. And clarity and purpose in that moment would tell you what? Hey, let's just focus. Eyes ahead. We're almost there. Let's not fall. Let's not get hurt. There's one orange safety barrel in the entire neighborhood. One. Just one. I know because I did the whole loop. There was no other barrel. So there's one orange barrel standing between my daughter and the house. She's on her bike. Two border colleagues bark. And she's just going along. She's like, dogs, body going forward. What happened next? Barrel, face, hit, ground, injury, scrape. We have to go to the daughter. She's crying. We pick her up. She's okay. Everything's fine. She got a little distracted in that moment, staring like we do. Blocks us from clarity, blocks us from our purpose. Man, I love her, but we got to work on this. She does stare at people a lot. This distracts us a ton, the cell phone. Crazy helpful sometimes, very efficient, can make your life a lot more productive, especially with email and texting, making your life a little bit more easy. But man, it can be such a distraction, especially when it comes to social media. Did you know that on average, people spend two and a half hours a day on social media? Two and a half hours a day. I just heard a ding in the audience. It cracks me up. Two and a half hours a day on social media. And it starts off so innocently. Like you might just hop on Facebook, think I'm just gonna wish my relative a happy birthday. It's their birthday, I'm gonna go wish them a happy birthday. Oh man, they post this new picture of their kid. Oh man, I haven't seen this person since high school. I better click on that and see how they're doing. Man, what did they do with their hair? That's nuts. I didn't think they would do that with their hair. Oh man, there's another person I know. I better do that. Oh, there's an ad for something I see. And then we're down this wormhole. And then that leads us to Instagram because of course this person has an Instagram account. Now we're looking at this picture. We click the search button. It goes down this algorithm wormhole. We find that this person we wanted to look into has a TikTok video. And now we're watching TikTok videos of choreographed dances of people that probably shouldn't be doing choreographed dances ever, but they've still felt the need to post it because they're bored during quarantine. And all we really wanted to do when we picked up this phone was see what the weather was going to be like tomorrow. <laughs> we get so distracted with the cell phones. Fear is another big one if you really think about it. Fear, we get real distracted with fear. Like we will let fear determine where we go in our lives. Like even if we feel like we've got an opportunity presented to us, whether it's professionally, whether it's with a relationship, we will let fear stand in the way and distract us of our next step. Professionally, maybe a romantic interest, somebody you want to get to know a little bit better. You're like, oh man, I don't, I don't think I can do that. I don't think that they're going to like me. I don't think they're going to like what I have to say. I don't think the boss is going to like my proposal. So I'm just going to stand back and I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow through with this and my purpose because I'm a little bit afraid. That's a big one. That's a big one. We let these things distract us. We let these things get in our way and block us from clarity. And Moses was really no different. He was no different. And if you think you've been bad with your distraction, like, man, I've been distracted for like a week. I've been distracted for like a year. Moses was distracted for like eight decades. So you're not doing too bad, especially when you compare yourself to Moses. Man, Moses got distracted. When he was, when he was born, he was given up as an infant, goes down the river in the basket. You guys probably know a little bit about the story. He ends up in Pharaoh's home. Pharaoh's daughter brings him in. And so for the first 40 years of his life, he's living apart from his people. He's living apart from God. And he's just kind of existing. He gets caught up in the things we get caught up in, the materialism. Things are very good in Egypt for the first 40 years of his life. So he's caught up in the money. He's caught up in the status. He's caught up in the robes and the gold and the statues. Until one day he sees something. He sees his Hebrew brothers being assaulted by an Egyptian slave driver. He decides he's going to do something about it. He takes what I would call the very aggressive step. He murders the slave driver. And he hides the body. 
And he ends up being found out by Pharaoh. And now Pharaoh puts out a hit on him. Pharaoh wants him dead. So Moses has to leave. And now he's distracted by the sins of his past. How many of you can say the same thing? Hopefully you've not murdered anyone and hid the body. Like I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is maybe you've made a mistake in your past. Maybe it's a thing you said, a thing you did, a decision that you made. And you're like, man, I got to bail from this current situation. I got to go. Now your purpose is in your rearview mirror somewhere. That was the first 40 years of his life. Then he has to go to a place called Midian. He meets a woman named Zipporah. They get married. They have a son named Gershom. And for the next 40 years, Moses is just kind of coasting, just kind of chilling out. Not really the entrepreneur, not really the the go-getter was Moses. He's watching over his father-in-law's sheep for four decades. Think about that. He can't even afford his own sheep for four decades. He's got to watch his father-in-law's. Now, is there anything wrong with being a shepherd? No, of course not. But there was, there was more in the cards for Moses. He was leaving a lot on the table. And this is kind of what leads us to our encounter for today. And I want to preface this by saying that in the Bible, if you spent any time in it, you'll notice that there are some, some odd stories, some strange things happen in the Bible. I, I think we all understand that. This might be one of the weirder ones. So if, you're, if, you're, if you kind of know where I'm going with this or you don't, like just keep that in mind as, as we talk about this. I'm acknowledging that it's weird. You are, we're all on the same page here. So it starts off and Moses is just this seemingly ordinary day. Might've been a Tuesday. And he's out with his father-in-law's sheep, just in the wilderness, walking along. And he notices something on his travels. He sees something and it gets his attention. He, he interacts with it. And this is what happens in Exodus 3. It says, There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Odd. How does Moses respond? Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is a hard thing to picture. Like a bush that's on fire, but the fire is not really consuming it. That's an odd thing to picture. But luckily for you, our production team has recreated the burning bush here now for you. Emmanuel Church has their very own burning bush. So for you watching online and you hear the brilliance of this might damage your eyes. So I apologize if that happens, but feast your eyes now on the burning bush of Emmanuel Church. (laughs) Might also be a lava lamp from Home Depot. But he's got this burning bush, this lava lamp that he sees in the wilderness, and Moses has a response to it. He stared at it in amazement. He said to himself, I have to go check this out. I have to investigate this. So he takes a step towards the bush. He goes to this burning bush, and the bush actually speaks to him. Story's getting a little bit weird. Just hang with me. The bush speaks to him. It calls out, Moses, Moses. And Moses, being the eloquent, amazing speaker that he is, responds, here I am. Here I am, hey. Like, that, like the, this bush speaks to him, it calls out to him, and it says, I actually don't want you to take any step forward. I want you to stand right where you're at because the ground that you're standing on is holy. As a matter of fact, why don't you take your shoes off? The ground you're standing on is holy. And then the bush reveals who he is. The bush says, I am God. I'm the voice of God. I am the God of your ancestors, of people just like you, as Charles Swindle would put it. I love that he says that. The God of people just like you. The God of your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, this is who I am. Don't take another step. And Moses' response to him was to say, here I am. I can't imagine what my response would have been in that moment. Like, what would you have said in that moment? 
You're, you're just, it's like, a, it's like Wednesday. You're with the sheep. They're just eating. And God calls out to you from a burning bush. That's weird enough. It only gets weirder. Because Moses hides his face. He's obviously overcome with emotion by all this. Like, I mean, God's calling out to me from a bush. What do I do? But then God starts to speak to him. And he says, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. Now, what do you notice about this language that God is using right now? Here's what I kind of took from it. It's a lot of I language. Like I have seen, I being God, I have heard, I understand, like I'm investigating, I'm looking into it. I have come down and I am going to do something about this. Now, if you're Moses, like you're just standing there saying, okay, cool, I'm tracking with you, burning bush, talking, gonna save your people, not really asking anything of me yet. I understand, that's great, thank you. I'm just gonna stay with the sheep if you don't mind. Thank you, God, appreciate that. But then God shifts his language and he shifts the direction of the conversation just a little bit and he completely turns Moses on his head. And he says, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, more eye language, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. I want you to look at verse 10. Now go. Go where? Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. Well, it got real interesting real quick, didn't it? You must lead my people, my people that I'm trusting you with, you must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Keep in mind, Moses, 80 years old, he owns like a pair of sandals and a walking stick, doesn't have enough money to buy his own sheep, and for the past 80 years, he's been disconnected from God. And God, from a burning bush, lava lamp, whatever, in the middle of the wilderness, calls out to him and says, I want you to go to one of the most powerful men in the world and I want you to free my people. That's some clarity. That's a clear direction. That is a path that has been outlined by God to Moses. Even if he disagrees with it, which he does, even if he doubts it, which he certainly does, and we'll talk about that in a minute, this is clarity from this burning bush encounter. Moses will walk away differently for the rest of his life because here's the thing about what happens when we encounter God. When we encounter God, we can gain clarity on our purpose. Moses might have been drifting for the past 40 years, for the past 80 years, he's not gonna drift anymore because now his boat has been pointed in a specific direction. He knows exactly where he needs to go. But the question about this burning bush encounter is what does this look like in our lives? How, how can we have this burning bush encounter? This is the question I want to explore. How can we have a burning bush encounter? Are there steps that we can take to engage with God so that he can offer us clarity on our purpose and help us navigate some of these distractions? I think there are things that we can do to put ourselves in the same position as Moses. And if you're following along in your notes on the app where you can see our notes right now, the first step would be to do simply what Moses did and to step toward God. Step toward God. That's the first thing that he did when he recognized something brilliant, something amazing in the wilderness. I want to go back to Exodus 3, and I want you to see if you, if you notice something about, about this verse. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, so God's watching him. 
He's watching how he responds to this situation, right? He saw him. He's looking at him. He knows what he's doing. When he saw him coming to take a closer look, God called out to him from the middle of the bush by name. What's amazing about this, if you read different Bible commentaries, you're looking at different study Bibles, this is the first time God spoke to Moses. In 80 years, first time, it required Moses to take a step toward God in order for God to speak to him. And when Moses took that step toward him, like I said earlier, he didn't have this profound reply. He didn't have this canned response ready. This is all he said to him. Here I am. I think sometimes when we try to take a step toward God, no matter what it is, whether it's in faith, whether it's in prayer, whether it's in journaling, whether it's in a small group atmosphere, whether it's in the impact team, we think we gotta have everything together. We gotta know the exact thing to say. We have to be perfect when we come towards God. That's not the case. Sometimes, sometimes you just need to offer God your presence and your attention. Sometimes it's okay to just go to God and just say, here I am. What do you have for me? What do you want me to learn? How do you want me to grow? And taking the step toward God, it looks so different for so many people. And I don't know what your next step is, but one area I would, I would encourage you to take the step toward God is just engaging with Scripture, engaging with the Bible on a daily basis. I know Pastor Danny is mad about this. He's nuts about this. He talks about it from the platform all the time. And we do too. And the reason is because it's so powerful for your life and understanding your purpose and gaining clarity. Also, this entire encounter, this entire weird, strange, sometimes funny encounter takes place in two pages of the Bible. If you want more weird stories, if you want more clarity, more tools for living, man, dive into this book. I'm telling you, it's good stuff. But the one thing I would encourage you to do is, is, is to do the same thing that Moses did when he was in God's presence. Because if you think back, God told him to do something very specific when he took a step towards God. He said, don't take another step. Take the shoes off. Because the ground you're standing on is holy. The Hebrew root word for holy is separate, set apart, or different. When you engage with God, when you take that step towards God, make it different. Make it separate from the world around you, which is a dangerous thing because a lot of us read the Bible on our phone, right? Like we've got the devotionals that get sent to us. We've got the Bible app, which is a great thing. It's an amazing tool. More scripture is better than no scripture. I'm here to tell you, but... If you don't have those notifications blocked or if you don't have some type of plan to avoid those interruptions and those distractions, you're two clicks away from watching cats on TikTok. So be mindful of that. As you engage with God, as you take that step toward God, make that time holy. Maybe it's a special table at a local park where you like to go and just get alone with God so you can listen to him and hear him. And you can offer yourself and just say, man, here I am. Here I am. Maybe it's a place in your house, like a special chair. Maybe it's in your car, in the quietness of your car before you go to school or before you go to work. I don't know where it is for you, but take some time and carve out a space and carve out a moment where you can make it holy. And once you do that, it will allow you to progress to the next step towards this burning bush encounter, which would be to recognize opportunities. Recognize opportunities. I want to pull up Exodus 3.10 again, and I want to kind of unpack this because I think sometimes we overlook the opportunity that's presented. We don't understand the fullness and the, the size and the scope of what God asked Moses to do because it's two sentences, right? It's a lot more than that. It says, now go, for I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh. You know anything about Pharaoh? 
Pharaoh at the time was one of the most powerful men in the world. This was at the height of the Egyptian golden age. When they refer to pharaohs, because there were many pharaohs throughout the history of Egypt, this is the pharaoh that they refer to. He did more to push Egypt forward further, faster than any other pharaoh in the history of Egypt. This guy, quite frankly, was the man. Like he built things, giant statues, monuments, progress. So many different things about Egypt can be owed to this guy. Not the nicest guy in the world either. And Moses knows this because Moses spent 40 years there. And he fled because Moses tried, Moses killed the slave driver and then Pharaoh tried to kill him. So Moses knows exactly who he's dealing with, with Pharaoh. And then it says, you must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. You know how many people this is? Off the top of your head? It says a little bit later in Exodus 12, 600,000 able-bodied men that God is asking Moses to free. 600,000, that is the population of Louisville, Kentucky. Keep in mind, Moses, 80 years old, sandal stick. Like on paper, he's not our guy. Like we could do better. We really could do better than this guy. But that's not all because it's not just 600,000 people. When you really break the number down, and you read a little bit in scripture, some Bible commentaries, that's not considering the families, the wives, the children, and this mixed group that the Bible talks about, this mixed group of people who don't necessarily believe in God or have faith in God, but they know a good thing when they see it. And if we are following the caravan to get out of Dodge and leave Pharaoh behind, I'm hopping on the train, baby. This number is closer to 2 million people. 2 million people. They didn't have texting back then. How are you supposed to coordinate that? Two million people is roughly the size of the fourth largest city in the United States, Phoenix, Arizona. Covers a landmass of 637.5 square miles. One 80-year-old dude with a stick and some sandals. He's watching his father-in-law's sheep because he's not, he's not industrious enough to watch sheep of his own. Why does God give Moses this opportunity? Why is he settling for Moses when he could go find somebody else with better leadership credentials or more chops when it comes to being around people and having more courage and having more boldness and bravery? Why is he doing this? I think it's because God sees us in a way that we don't see ourselves. I think we know that. Because God can look past the inadequacies that Moses sees about himself. He can look past the fact that he's just kind of been drifting and coasting for the past 80 years of his life he can look past the failures that you and I have experienced, whether we've said something that we regret or we've done something we regret or we've lost the job or we've racked up some debt or our marriage has fallen apart or we've said something to our kid that we want to forget and we put all this heat and all this pressure on ourselves and we think, man, who am I to do anything? Who am I to join a small group? Who am I to join the impact team? Who am I to do anything in my community? Who am I to put myself back out there to be in another relationship based on what I've done? I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm never gonna be good enough. Man, God sees right through that. He sees to the heart of us. Do you know that? Do you know that that is how intimately he knows you and how he believes in you? Because on paper, it's true, he could have left Moses in the dust and he could have said, you're right, you're not the guy. I'll go get somebody else who's more qualified, but he doesn't because he knows something about Moses. He knows that Moses, in the end, will be a man of action, which is our third step. We must take action at some point once we recognize these opportunities. Because when God is seeing something inside of us that we don't see in ourselves, this should embolden us, this should give us courage, this should give us faith 
Because on the surface, this opportunity may seem huge, it may seem too big, but we need to understand that we are never going to be taking a single step without God and he's not going to leave us or forsake us. He's not going to make us do this by ourselves, which should give us confidence to take action. And I don't want to give you this rosy picture and make you think that Moses was like so on board from the beginning. Moses complained. He was tossing excuses to God, so many excuses. And there are excuses that you and I throw at people all the time when opportunities or situations are presented our way, especially when it comes to getting real clear on our purpose. So God tells him, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to deliver my people. This is what I want you to do. Now go. And the first excuse Moses gives is, well, who am I? Like, I have no qualifications to do this. I am not the person that you should be sending. Like, how can you think to ask me to do this? How many of you have ever felt like that? I'm not right for this job. How can you want to be in a relationship with me? How can you want to have kids with me? I'm not qualified to do this. I'm not a dad. You ever been there? Second excuse Moses gives him. Okay, God, like you're appearing to me in a burning bush lava lamp. Like, who am I supposed to say you are? What if they ask me who I talked to, who I got this information from? What am I supposed to tell them? A shrub? So he asked him his name. How many of you have ever been doubted because of your faith? Like, people know that about you. You're, you're the Christian, right? So automatically, your credibility is kind of squashed a little bit. Have you been there? Third excuse Moses gives. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't trust me? What if they can see past what you see and they can see what I see in the mirror every single day? Man, that's a big one, isn't it? Moses is feeling that on a deep, primal level because that's something that's very human. We all feel that. And then the fourth excuse he gives to God is like, man, like, I am not a speaker. I get tongue-tied, my words get slurred, my tongue gets heavy, like nothing comes out right. Like, how am I supposed to communicate with these two million people? Have you ever doubted your experience or your expertise or your qualifications for anything? Somebody presents an opportunity to you and they're like, man, I can't speak. I can't do that. I get all sweaty. I look like the Greenwood campus pastor. <laughs> and then finally, Moses just throws his hands up and he's like, look, you got to go get somebody else. Anybody else. You got to go get somebody else. I'm not your guy. Which is sad because Moses didn't see in himself what God saw in him. That's heartbreaking. And I think for a lot of us, that's where we stop. We'll shut it down right there, right? Luckily for us, we can learn from this. And Moses didn't understand two key things about God. The first is that God is very patient and that God is very kind and that God was willing to work with him because for every response that Moses had, God had a contingency plan. He had a backup. Oh, you don't think they're gonna believe in you? You don't think they're gonna do this? You think they're not gonna believe who I am? I am who I am is my name. That's what you can tell them. You can tell them that's my name. I am the all-present, all-knowing God. They don't believe, you don't believe what I'm saying? Take your staff, throw it on the ground, I'll turn it to a snake. I will perform a miracle. Put your hand in your pocket, pull it out. It's gonna look diseased. It's gonna look like snowflakes falling on the ground. Put it back in, pull it out again. It's gonna be healed and cleansed. They don't believe that? Throw some water on the ground. I'll turn it into blood. I will do these with you, Moses. I'm not gonna leave you in the lurch. I'm not gonna leave you to do this by yourself. You're not a good speaker? Fine, I'll send your brother Aaron the Levite. I will give you, I'm gonna give you the words, man. I'm gonna give them to you. You'll have a partner in this. You'll have your brother and you will have the God that knows you and loves you. That was the first thing Moses didn't understand. The second thing was this, this wasn't an ask. 
God's not asking him, hey, would you consider this? He said, go, twice. It wasn't up for debate. And eventually Moses understood this. And God realized something about Moses, and Moses realized something about himself. He's obedient, he trusts God. And when you're obedient and you trust someone, you can take action, you do what they ask you to do, right? This was Moses' response. So Moses took his wife and his sons, he put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand, he carried the staff of God. So it's Moses, Zipporah, Gershom, the stick, the sandals, and donkey from Shrek. And we're going to go save the world. He could take action because he believed in God and he trusted in God. And all of this on the surface seems so ridiculous and it seems so absurd. Author Norman Mailer would say this, I don't think life is absurd. I think we were all here for a huge purpose huge purpose. I think we shrink from the immensity of the purpose we are here for. I don't want you to get this twisted up. We are here for a huge purpose. We exist to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. It does not get a whole lot bigger than that, baby. Really doesn't. This is what we exist for, but you don't have to wait for some huge opportunity to present itself. This opportunity for Moses, it was about as big as it gets. I'm not going to lie to you. But the opportunities that you and I are going to be presented with, they might be smaller. They might be a little bit tinier when it comes to scale. Maybe it's you sending an encouraging text message to someone who's going through a rocky relationship and you can speak life and encouragement. Maybe it's you taking a student under your wing in a student group. Maybe it's you joining the impact team and getting involved and blessing someone with your energy and your smile and your presence. I don't know what it is for you. But don't shrink away from your purpose. Don't shrink away from your calling because it seems too big. It's not too big. You can do this. God believes in you just as he believed in Moses. I said earlier, I I think that you're gonna have a burning bush encounter if you haven't already. I I truly believe that. But here's the question I wanna end with is how will you respond to your burning bush encounter? How will you respond to it? Because I think it's coming if it hasn't already. Are you going to be the type of person who who does what Moses does and just throw excuse after excuse to God and allow these things to to block you from having clarity and you allow distractions to rule and run your life? Are you going to step into these opportunities and take action and recognize what God has given you? Are you just going to take that tiny step towards God and just say, here I am? I'll tell you what this can look like. That little five-year-old distracted girl I was talking about earlier today. She got a chance to go to the high school camp, the closing ceremony Wednesday night. She was surrounded by a ton of people who just followed this process, this burning bush encounter. She was surrounded by high school girls who just took a step toward God, recognized the opportunity and took a little bit of action when they saw this curly-haired five-year-old standing amongst them. These girls, these students, these impact team leaders, these staff members saw an opportunity to have camp and teach students and encourage and build each other up in the middle of a time in the world where everything is so odd and strange and nothing is normal, but they still wanted to have camp. And my little girl got to see this. And so she goes and she's doing this. And a group of high school girls who are having a small group, they're talking about Jesus, they're talking about Moses. My little girl got to see that, all because these people took a step, recognized an opportunity, took some action. She got to watch high school girls worship with everything they had in their being. If you've never seen high school students at their student night of worship, man, like the the energy was just 
It was contagious. And my daughter saw it and she's clapping. She's got her hands up. She's blown away by this. She got to listen to stories about a young man and their peers lifting up and encouraging this young man and talking about how amazing and how wonderful he is and how much God knows him. My daughter got to hear all those things. If these people never step towards God, if they never recognize this opportunity, if they never take action, then my little girl doesn't get that exposure. But because all of these people decided to do this, the ripple effects from that moment and from that action are going to cast out across the lake of her life in ways that they will not comprehend, they won't see. That's the, that's the power of this encounter. You can have this encounter as well. Small step, recognize the opportunity, take a little bit of action, have faith. Believe in God as he believes in you and let him dictate the clarity and the purpose for your life and you will make a huge difference. Ironically, I'm getting sweaty, I'm getting jacked up talking about this stuff. Ironically, this three-step process is the perfect way to talk about the response to the gospel. Because I know that there are people watching out there right now. I know that this might be your burning bush moment. You might be sitting in this auditorium right now this might be the first time you've heard about Jesus Christ, a man who lived a sinless, perfect existence, the Son of God coming down and living amongst us. He could have been anything that he wanted, but instead he chose to be a living sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice for you and me and our families and my little girl and the students at camp and everybody around us. Jesus Christ died on a cross for you so that you wouldn't have to spend eternity apart from God. Not only did he die, he rose again three days later, conquering the penalty of sin and death. That in itself is unbelievable, but man, you need to know that it happened and it happened for you. So maybe this is you taking a step towards God, maybe acknowledging this and recognizing the opportunity that's in front of you, which is this, you don't have to spend eternity apart from God anymore. You can start this today. You can take action. You can say this prayer that I'm about to say. You pray it straight to Jesus Christ. You take these words, you make them your own. And you go to him right now. You ask him for forgiveness of your sins and you tell him that you wanna live with him forever. Let's pray. Jesus, I acknowledge that I have made mistakes. I have messed up. I am not perfect and I'm never going to be. But that's okay because your sacrifice, you dying on the cross, you have covered my sin. Jesus, I know that you rose again three days later, conquering the penalty of sin and death. I acknowledge this today. I take a step today. And Jesus, I beg for your forgiveness. Wash me, cleanse me, Show me what it is to live with you right now. Jesus, it's in your name I humbly pray. Amen. Whew. If you just prayed that prayer online or if you're here, I want to hear about it. We want to celebrate. Let's go. Let's get excited for these people, man. 
such a monumental step, such a huge opportunity. What we would like for you to do, if you just prayed this prayer and you just trusted in Jesus Christ, just text the word SAVE to 65248. Text that to us and we will send our save box to your area of residence. It's got a New Believer's New Testament Bible so you can get started with scripture and understand God's clarity and purpose for your life. It's got a reading plan and it's also got a cup in there just as our way to say thank you and we love you. Hey, can we give it up one more time for what God is doing in this church and this community? Man, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your attention. For those of you watching online, I believe it's time for you to go to the post show. So I'm going to say goodbye to you and to those of you here at the Greenwood campus. I'm gonna pray for us and then I will dismiss us.